Hey everybody, I'm Emily. I'm Andy. And welcome to Unnatural. Andy. Yeah. I have a bit of a doozy for you today. Uh-huh. You ready? A doozy. A doozy. I like doozies. Yeah. Hit me. Good. So we're traveling back to 2009 and we're heading to Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Mm. So what happened was a bright and beautiful young lawyer was found dead in her Baton Rouge office. She was described as one of the best criminal defense attorneys in the area. And officials initially thought that her death could have been related to a case she was working on or a robbery, but it was quickly discovered that her murder was a much more sinister and personal affair. This is the story of Chiquita Tate. Chiquita Tate was born in Baton Rouge, Louisiana on October 18th, 1975. Um, She had a bit of a troubled childhood. Her father wasn't really around and there were some issues with her mother. So she and her six siblings were raised by her grandmother. Now they didn't have much money to speak of. They, you know, were pretty impoverished. But Chiquita was the first in her family to graduate. She completed most of her school career in Baton Rouge, but um, a couple sources I found said that she graduated from high school in Chicago. Oh, wow. And yeah, I couldn't find any information about why she was there or for how many years, but I think it was just her senior year of high school, possibly her junior year. Maybe she had some relatives. Yeah, I'm not sure. Like, there's nothing really public about Mm. why she made her way up to the Midwest. But um, she absolutely excelled in school. Like I said, she was the first in her family to graduate. So um, her sisters especially kind of really began looking up to her like, hey, if she can do it, I can do it type thing. And after high school, she moved to Georgia to attend Clark Atlanta University, where she graduated in the top of her class in 1996. Mm. Then she moved back to Louisiana and took an interest in law. And um, she had worked for a judge named Judge Pam Taylor Johnson. Now, Pam said that she had come into her office one day looking for a job as a judicial assistant in 1999 and um, they had an interview and then um, a few days after that Chiquita just dropped by unannounced at her office and Pam said that she couldn't meet with her at that point in time but Chiquita asked if she could use the phone and Pam was like yeah that's fine but I'm on my way out just make sure you close the door when you're done and you leave But when Pam returned to her office, Chiquita was there answering the phones and she had completely organized Pam's desk. So Pam was like, okay, when can you start? And she hired her on the spot. Well, yeah, she's a go-getter, it sounds like. Yeah, absolutely. 
So Pam said that she definitely saw a spark in her and she told her that she should apply for law school. Pam was one of the people um, that was really kind of pushing her like, hey, you like law. You did great in school. Why don't you go get your law degree and become a lawyer? And she did. And she graduated from Southern University Law Center in Baton Rouge. That was in 2004 that she graduated and she passed her bar exam on the first try a short time after. Now, apparently, a lot of law students and prospective lawyers don't pass their bar exam on the first time. I've heard that. It takes them a couple tries. Yeah. Good for her. You go, girl. Right. Exactly. And people who knew her described her as driven, super confident. She was kind and very caring, especially of, um, you know, kids in the area that kind of were growing up how she grew up. Not a lot of money. Um, you know, a lot of kids in this type, in this area would, you know, they were getting involved in drugs and gangs and all that kind of stuff. So she ended up working in the community as a full-time advocate in child protection matters. And she had a special interest in that area because of how she grew up. She did spend some time in the foster care system as a child, but she was quickly on her way to becoming like a powerhouse in the law community. Yeah, it sounds like it. Yeah, she loved her job so much that apparently she had a tattoo of Lady Justice on her back. Oh, cool. I know. Isn't that kind of cool? Yeah. Now, she would go on to handle some of the most ruthless criminals in the area. But before we get there, let's scale it back a little bit. And now we're talking January 2005. She opened up her own law office specializing in criminal defense. Um, She hired one of her sisters to help as a legal assistant. And the family was, by all accounts, very close-knit. They all stayed in contact. They all kind of, you know, lived in the same area. They were really close, talked all the time, that sort of thing. Now, somewhere in 2007, Chiquita was just driving along, minding her own business when some prick Mm. cut her off. Been there before. It's always a prick that cuts you off. It's never a nice person. It is. And yeah, and her kind of being like the confident, I don't put up with that shit type of person that she was, she confronted the other driver. Ooh. Yes. Who was a guy and a local contractor named Greg Harris. Now, allegedly, the interaction between Greg and Chiquita ended with her giving him his phone number, and next thing you know, they were dating. Wow, didn't see that one coming. Look, I've, right? I've had some uh, some traffic encounters before where things got a little heated and I certainly never gave them my phone number. <laughs> no, I gave a. I think I gave no. them the finger, but not my phone number. <laughs> that's that's like literally exactly what I was going to say. I've never given anybody my number in a road rage road rage incident, but I've definitely given someone my finger anyway. So. By December 2007, they had moved in together, Chiquita and Greg, and just, I don't know if it, the, the timeline here is, was a little hard for me to decipher, but it was not long after they moved in together, the police ended up being called to their home. Um, according to the 911 call placed by Chiquita, she said, 
help me three times. And then she said, he choked me and I think he broke my arm. Oh, my God. Yeah. So police showed up. Um, he, I, I believe he was arrested and charged with domestic violence, but I think um, the charges were dropped. Mm. Um, but despite this incident, uh, her family and friends said that she did like she seemed really happy. And even Pam, who we mentioned, like her and Pam remained very close throughout. Mm hmm. Um, and Pam said that she really had no inkling that she was being abused. She could have never, you know, said anything to her about it. You know, she she thought that they were happy this whole time. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, just a few weeks after this incident, Chiquita calls up Pam and she's like, hey, can you marry me and Greg? Whoa, that escalated quickly. Right. They show up to her office the following day. And she had gotten a marriage license, but um, she was told that she had to wait three days before getting married. That's just kind of how that that stuff worked. Um, but Chiquita didn't want to wait. And they mm -hmm. ended up going off and eloping somewhere else. Mm. And Pam said, quote, that's just the way she was. If she decided she was going to do something, she was going to go ahead and do it. Just which, really spontaneous. Yeah. Can relate. I can be impulsive like that. I've never impulsively married someone, but... Not yet. No. So business is thriving for Chiquita. She moved her law office to a downtown location in Baton Rouge. Um, things are going really well. She's doing well for herself. By all accounts, her and Greg are doing great. And then fast forward to 2009... She starts working on a very, very high-profile murder case. Mm. And she is representing, and forgive me for this pronunciation, I tried to figure it out for sure, but I'm, I'm unsure exactly how their names are pronounced. But she's representing Donaco and Darius Duhart. Now, these are two brothers who are known for being involved in drugs and apparently killing any potential witnesses against them. Wow. Now, at this point in time, they were currently um, about to be on trial for murdering a guy named Jason Fermi. And Jason had been murdered and set on fire. Whoa. Just days, days before he was set to testify against the brothers. Don't think that's a coincidence. No. So now we're coming up on February 19th, 2009. Chiquita was going about her day as usual. She was in court. She spoke to some reporters about the upcoming trial afterwards. Now, um, on a documentary, like a Dateline documentary about this case, they did show a clip from, you know, her talking with the reporters outside of the courthouse and you know she seems happy seems like nothing really is amiss so um you know after a big day in court she goes to her office she gets started on working on the defense for the brothers which like i said is just a huge case for her now at 5 30 p.m her legal assistant went home for the night but she stayed behind at the office to do some work. 
Now, Greg came by to bring her some dinner because she was working late. Um, I'm not sure what time he arrived, but a client of Chiquita's came by to drop off $75 around 7 p.m. And Greg went to answer the door to collect the money from this woman, and he didn't have a key to get back into the office, so he used a book to prop open the door. Greg left at 8.30 p.m. Now, when he awoke the next morning, he realized that Chiquita hadn't come home, so he called the police right away. Mm. So, now it's Friday, February 20th, 2009. Police arrived at Chiquita's office around 7 a.m., and she was discovered lying on the floor in her ov- in her office, and it was obvious that she had been brutally attacked. There was blood oh everywhere. Um, it, it looked like the office had kind of been rummaged through. So, at first, they were thinking maybe this was a robbery gone awry. But her wedding mm-hmm. ring was still on her finger. She had she was wearing diamond earrings and her purse was still there, but it had been dumped out, but her wallet was missing. Mm. Now she had been stabbed 40 times. Oh my god. All over her body and her face. She had some pretty clear defensive wounds on her arms, and um, it it really appeared like she had fought back because a couple of her nails were broken. And police also discovered strands of hair that were kind of caught up in her hand, like she tried to pull the hair of whoever was attacking her. And there was also blood on the sink in the kitchen in her office. Mm. So not long after police arrived and word was spreading uh, her family members and greg arrived nice. on the scene um police described greg as being frantic like he was trying to get into the building and they were like no 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 you can't go in there and he was like hyperventilating and just freaking out and eventually they were able to calm him down and they questioned him and he relayed the story about bringing her food the client stopping by and um they did they did find the 75 dollars that her client dropped off and the book was still in the doorway so he never like moved it when he went back in or when he left it was still propping the door open apparently yeah oh okay so we're gonna circle back to those brothers that we were talking about they were due in court the following monday after Chiquita was murdered. So police kind of first looked into them, which I kind of thought like, why why would they be suspects? Like she's literally defending them. She's trying to keep them out yeah. of prison. Why would they or someone affiliated with them want to kill her? I guess just because they're nefarious people and right. she's interacting with them. I don't right. know. I mean, that's that's true and that's fair. Um, But one of the brothers was in jail that night, and Darius, who was not in jail, was eventually ruled out. I believe he had an alibi or something. Mm -hmm. So then police are kind of looking for tips and information, if anybody had seen anything. And as it turns out, at 10.30 p.m. the night of the murder, a woman found Chiquita's wallet on a street called um, Gardier Lane. 
I think that's how you mm. pronounce it. And apparently, where this street was, this part of town was very well known for lots of crime, lots of drugs, gangs, homicide, you name it. It went down in this neighborhood. But the woman who found the wallet recognized Chiquita's name because she had talked at this woman's son's school, um, you know, about life as a lawyer, talked about law, that kind of thing. Sounds like she just did, you know, one of those maybe career day type presentations. Yeah. And it's one of those names you're going to remember. Right. So this woman, being a good Samaritan, called in the tip that she found the wallet. So now police are able to really narrow down a timeline. So they got it down to like a two-hour window for when she was murdered because Greg left at 8.30 and the wallet's found two hours later. So that sounds good, right? Yeah. Yeah. But not a lot was really happening with the case at first. Um, But testing did come back that the hairs that were found in Chiquita's hand were artificial hair so likely from like a wig or hair extensions Mm -hmm. and this was a little bit of a setback because it could mean that the killer was male or female right because they're wearing a wig Mm -hmm. so tips you know are coming in once word spreads about the murder because she was really well known she was a great lawyer a lot of them were dead ends until they got a tip from a woman named Amber. Hey guys, if you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's absolutely free. And there are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. So Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and a whole lot more. Basically, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Yeah, And you want to know what else? You can also make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership, which is really cool. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. So this gal, Amber, calls the police saying that she overheard a woman named Sherilyn bragging about being involved in this whole situation. Amber said that Sherilyn was one of Chiquita's clients, and allegedly, Sherilyn and Chiquita were having an affair. Mm -hmm. Mm. So police are able to track down Sherilyn and her girlfriend, Gladys. And they were questioned separately. And they asked Sherilyn how she knew Shakita, and she said that she represented her and Gladys in a child adoption case. Gladys confirmed this, 
And according to the sources that I read, they said, you know, they had nothing but good things to say about Chiquita and what she, you know, did for them during their adoption thing. And they both denied any romantic involvement. And kind of as an added bonus, neither of them owned any wigs or hair extensions either. Okay, that's good to know because as you mentioned that they found that synthetic hair on Chiquita. Mm-hmm. So now the police are like, hmm. 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 Did this Amber lady call in a fake tip? Oh. So they trace the call from Amber. And it panned out because it led them to a woman named Cassandra Landry all the way over in Grand Prairie, Texas. Wow. So was she posing as Amber? We'll get there. Okay. We'll get there. Hold on. So the police pop on over to Texas. They get a hold of Cassandra who confirms, yes, she is like the owner of the phone number associated with the call and so they're like well who's amber and cassandra's like well my daughter serena has a friend named amber and she's home let me go get her so the detective on this case detective elvin howard immediately recognizes serena's voice as the one who called in the tip under the name of amber Oh, okay. It's a little bit suspicious. Yeah. So he calls her out on it, and Serena's like, yeah, I called in the tip, but apparently she denied the whole Chiquita having affair with Sherilyn thing. Like, she never said that or something, but it's kind of like, okay. You literally said that to the police. Right. Yeah. Whatever. So now the cops are like, well, how the heck do you know Shakita Tate then? And she reveals that she is none other than Greg's heckin' sister. So we're gonna whip a 180 and go back to Greg. So they're looking into him. They see the history of domestic violence. He's brought in for questioning. He denies ever hitting her. Um, and there's, there's footage of the interrogation and, um, the detective is like, you killed your wife. And he's like, I didn't kill my wife. You know, he's kind of, you, you see a little bit that he's, he's got a bit of a temper, but on the you know devil's advocate, I guess if I was being accused of killing someone that I didn't kill, I would probably get upset and angry. I'd probably get pissed. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so the police are able to pull Greg's phone records and they saw that he was at her office. He did go home around the time he said, but his phone also pinged on Gardier Lane. Mm. Sound familiar? It does. Okay. That's where the wallet was found. Yeah, so they push him on this a little bit. They're like, why were you there? And Greg's like, oh, um, my steroid dealer lives there. (laughs) Boy, you done messed up. And he knew it, so he doubles down. 
And the police were able to get a search warrant for his car and his house. Now, in the home, police find wigs, extensions, and one of them matches the hair found in Shakita's hand. The police also find a pair of safety glasses, and it was tested and revealed that there was both his and Shakita's blood on these glasses. Oh, shit. Yep, so he is, Greg is officially arrested and charged with the murder of his wife. I can't believe he didn't get rid of the the wig and the safety glasses. Yeah, you'd think. Right. I mean, first of all, he sounds like a homicidal maniac anyway, but if, if, if you're trying to get away with something, how do you not dispose of that? Right. Well, I mean, I'm sure he probably thought that he cleaned it and like it's a wig. It's not like it has DNA. I don't know. That's what would I think anyway. But allegedly, Chiquita had been threatening to leave Greg because he was abusive and she had a plan in place to get out. So the police allege that the couple got into a fight during the time that Greg was at her office bringing her food. He went into a rage stabbed her and then tried to make it look like a robbery gone gone wrong by you know um taking her wallet kind of tossing the office but um you know kind of going back to what you said why didn't he get rid of the wig or the glasses but the murder weapon the knife that was used was never recovered Mm. But when this went to trial, he was initially charged with second-degree murder. But in 2011, he was convicted and found guilty of manslaughter and sentenced. Whoa! Yeah. Just manslaughter? Yeah, but he was sentenced to 40 years without the possibility of parole, which was the max sentence for this charge. But Greg has 100% maintained his innocence throughout. and his So he's never wavered at all. Right. And he and his lawyer have been appealing this and fighting for a new trial. Because according to him and his attorney, Rick Gallo, or Gallet, I think it's Gallo. Anyway, they had petitioned for a new trial in May of last year, which was denied. And they alleged that the DeHart brothers, if you remember from earlier, um, Denard specifically, was responsible for her death. Even though there's no evidence to point towards them. Right. And this guy conveniently enough, died in 2013. Mm. Um, One of the DeHart brothers? Yeah. Oh, wow. The one that they're accusing died in 2013. Yeah. Convenient. Right. Yeah. For them. Now, he and his lawyer say that there should have been DNA under Shakita's fingernails, and it was never tested, so they say that it should be tested, and compared against Denard's DNA and it should come up with a match. It and that would just be the smoking gun that Greg didn't do this. 
Still doesn't explain Amber at all. Well, it doesn't explain Amber. It doesn't explain why he had the wig. It doesn't explain why his blood and Chiquita's blood were found on his safety glasses. Right. It doesn't add up. Yeah, there's a lot of other things that they've brought up, too. Um, I think the judge or I, um, I forgot to write this down. It was either the judge or the prosecutor. They were saying there was some sort of conflict of interest there. And, you know, their their whole thing is Greg didn't get a fair trial. Greg didn't get a fair trial. Blah, 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 blah. But, you know, their appeals and their requests for a new trial have been denied. So from what I found on the Internet researching this, there's not been a whole lot happening since this was denied in may which you know it just happened last year but that's not to say something they won't come up with something in the near future so um greg remains in prison and he will remain there until um i think he will be released in 2055 it's a sad case because it sounds like she was such a promising attorney she had such a good head on her shoulders and you know yeah life cut short because of a maniac yeah exactly and that's another thing too you know um detectives and and forensic psychologists or psychiatrists or uh, whatever the word is you know they say that this type of stabbing is very personal it's very right. emotional and you know we talked about this in the ellen greenberg case yeah. i mean when you're stabbed that many times that's a crime of passion right because the person's already dead at that point most likely so you're stabbing them that many times because you're just so upset and your brain is just in that moment where it can't let go and you're just lashing out so much. Whereas if it's just a random crime, it's probably just one or two stab wounds on a typical person. That's usually what it shows. Right. Well, I mean, I have a lot of questions about this. I mean, all signs point to Greg. In my opinion, you know, a jury agreed. He admitted to being with her he was in the area where her wallet was found shortly after right. she was killed. But then at the same time, I have to wonder, why was he wearing a wig? Why was he, what, like, did he, did he, I wonder, like, did he leave, you know, when he went. And try and come back in disguise? Yeah. And maybe catch her off guard. But, I mean, if you, yeah. if you look at this guy. <laughs> I don't know. I picture him in a wig and I'm like, there's no like what? Well, in in one of her wigs, too. I mean, right. You'd assume. So it's not like it's going to confuse her. She's probably going to notice that it's one of her wigs. And plus, I'm sure she would notice that it's him. Right. I don't know. It's just that's just kind of one of those weird things that I hyper focused on and I couldn't really find any answers for like because obviously he didn't admit to it but it's like why sir why were you wearing a wig 
I would like to know. You brought your wife dinner, but, and he also had a knife. He brought a knife with him. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that's some um, premeditation. Sounds like it to me. I don't know. I guess we'll see if something else comes up about it. In the meantime. And if it does, yeah, if it does, we'll keep you posted. We will. And you can find updates, such as ones about this case, any other cases. Come hang out with us on Twitter, on Natural the Pod. Find us on Instagram, on Natural the Podcast. We have a Facebook page, on Natural, a true crime podcast. If you would like to send us case ideas, stories, tell us how much you love us, <laughs> whatever, send us a Gmail on naturalthepodcast at gmail.com. We also have a Patreon page set up. That is patreon.com slash unnaturalthepod. Over there, you can find ad-free episodes, bonus content, and much more. And as always, be sure to rate, subscribe, follow, and share us with your friends. You know what? I think it is time for, Emily. What is it time for? A good old-fashioned palate cleanse. Mmm. Now it's time for the Unnatural Palate Cleanse, where Emily and Andy bring you their own unique and offbeat tales of intrigue from around the world today. So, have you ever heard of the Thanks Killing movies? Thanks Killing? Thanks Killing. No. Oh my God. You're missing out. So, my friend Alyssa, who, by the way, is a fan of the show, thanks, she Alyssa. has. Yeah, thanks, Alyssa. She has a party every year around Thanksgiving time where we watch either the original Thanks Killing or one of the sequels. And they're absolutely awful, but it's so much fun to just drink some wine and watch these. And I was Googling Thanksgiving because I'm not going to be able to watch it in person with her this year because I live, you know, quite a ways away these days. Mm-hmm. So I Googled it and something else came up and that led me down a rabbit hole. I'm sure that's happened with you before. Like every day. <laughs> right. So... I I googled thanks killing and it ended up uh showing me something about the Thanksgiving butcher which I had never heard of before. Mhm. Here's what it was. So this story takes place in 1991. Her name was Omaima Nelson. She was born in Egypt. And she met an American man at the age of 18. They moved to Texas and got married. Mm -hmm. They divorced shortly after. So here she is in America. She's looking for an affluent man to kind of attach herself to. She kind of had a feisty side as well. And she was once caught shoplifting in America where she almost ripped a store's clerk nipple off. Okay. During a confrontation, like the store's clerk like saw her stealing something and she was like, "Hey, you can't do that." And she grabbed her nipple and tried to tear it off. Savage. Which 
I mean, that I'm sure that hurt like hell. Yeah. I know when my friends would give me uh, a purple nurple back in the day, that's what they called it. It hurt like hell. But this was probably to the extreme. Fast forward a few years later, she meets a guy named William Nelson at the bar, right? And mm-hmm. she liked him because he had that money. Oh, yeah. um, He was a rich guy. They decided to go on a horseback riding date with some of his rich friends. And are they single? Well, yeah, she was single. He was single. The friends were together and they're they're on the horses. One of the horses bucked her off and she hit her head really hard on the ground and probably suffered a concussion. Oh, no. But she decided not to go to the hospital. She just kind of brushed it off. As one does. Yeah, but you shouldn't. <laughs> you, you really shouldn't do that with that. Um, she, so she refused any medical treatment. Um, and really, studies of serial killers show that some of those who had some sort of head trauma, like John Wayne Gacy, Jeffrey Dahmer comes to mind. Well... They were already predisposed to violence, but then that head trauma presumably made them commit more heinous acts. Right. A lot of serial killers, not even just serial killers, but like people who kill maybe one or two people often have head trauma somewhere in their history. Right. And they might already be kind of a violent person, but that tips them them over the edge. Right. And so she's only been with this guy, William, for a few weeks. They already get married, which is crazy. And they're spending Thanksgiving night together. Mm -hmm. So they have a turkey dinner. And after the dinner, Omaima kind of insinuated to William that they were going to get their freak on. Right. Mm -hmm. Go. Go, girl. Yeah. Yeah, they're 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 gonna get kinky, right? Mm-hmm. So she ties him up, and instead of you know some Turkey Day S and M, she she decides to stab him with a pair of scissors in his chest over twenty times. Then she proceeds to bludgeon him to death with an iron, a clothes iron. Mm-hmm. Ouch. Yeah, Not so he's dead. Not where I thought this was going. Really? Okay. <laughs> I mean, so, like, I thought, like, I, you know. You thought she was going to get killed, maybe. Well, not after you said the head trauma thing. <laughs> but, I mean, how are you going to be like, babe, that was well, such a good Thanksgiving dinner let's do it i'm gonna tie you up oh wait why are these scissors in my hand boom boom (laughs) okay so we'll buckle up because it's gonna get even weirder here um so after he died she spent most of the nights cutting him up and trying to dispose of his body parts down the garbage disposal the garbage disposal. So much so that the neighbors actually 
noticed that the garbage disposal was running so much. That's when you know <laughs> that it's it, it's getting pretty bad. If the neighbors notice that your garbage disposal is constantly running. Were they in an apartment? No, they were in a house. So what year was this? How loud was this, the garbage this disposal? Is, this is 1991. But when you're trying to dispose of human remains, maybe the garbage disposal is working a little bit overtime, I'm guessing. I would assume so. Is she putting bones down there, too? She she was trying to. And so much so that the garbage disposal eventually just petered out. Well, yeah. And that's not what they're made for. I mean, most men are garbage, yeah. correct, but that's not the type of garbage that these garbage disposals are made for. Okay, I'm pretty sure that they have a disclaimer on there that says not made for human remains. If not, they should. Well, you know, if if curling irons have to have a warning that says for external use only, then yes, a garbage disposal 100 percent right. needs a warning against disposing of human remains. Agreed. So. Then she cuts off his head mm. and she wraps it in tinfoil. Does she bake it? Please don't tell me. She no. She put it in the freezer okay. in, in between the carrots and the peas. Yeah. And this seems she like an al- adequate spot. <laughs> <laughs> she also put his hands in the fryer and, to take his fingerprints off. Okay. And she even cut off a large portion of his flesh, mixed it in with the leftover turkey. She poured barbecue sauce on it and had it for a late night snack. No. Yeah. No. (laughs) No. I don't I don't know if she was doing a Jeffrey Dahmer impersonation here, but uh, or maybe this was right when that movie Silence of the Lambs came out. So maybe she was inspired. I'm not sure, but that really. I thought the Silence of yeah. the Lambs came out in like the mid 80s, mid to late 80s. No, early 90s, huh. early 90s. I remember I actually my you know, because the Silence of the Lambs at the time, it was all the talk of the town, right? Yeah. And my parents decided to rent it, but I was too young. I was like, you know, because this is 92, 91, 92. I'm like eight years old, seven years old. So obviously I couldn't watch it with them. Mm-hmm. But my sister and I snuck downstairs and we snuck behind the couch and watched a small portion of the movie. Did you have regrets? Well, our our parents ended up catching us because it was a horrible scene, <laughs> and, and they heard us. And they heard us gasping, and yeah, <laughs> so they they put us back upstairs. So yeah, that was going on. So was that the movie that like kind of scarred you for life? Why do you think I'm scarred for life? <laughs> We're hosting a true crime podcast. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe that was the one. You know what what one it was for me? What was it? Scream. Oh. Really? Yeah. Um what, I just like what part traumatized you? Oh. Um so picture it. 
What year did Scream come out? 96. Okay. So, Scream, picture it. 1996. I'm six. I'm probably, <laughs> I, I, this was probably a while after it came out because I feel I was like gonna I was, say. I feel like I was seven or eight. Yeah. I'm at my grandma's house with my cousins, Lauren and Jessica. Lauren and Jessica, if you're listening, this is all your fault. Um, someone, someone rented Scream. It's yeah. playing in the living room at my grandma and grandpa's house. VHS. I th- VHS. I think, um, maybe it was, maybe it was my cousin Jared. I don't know. It was one of my cousins. I blame them. It's all their fault. Um, I feel like I remember my grandma trying to keep me out of the living room so they could watch this movie because they were all older than me and it's right. rated R. I'm eight. Um, but I distinctly <laughs> remember seeing um, just kind of like the first. And I think the reason why they pulled me away is because my grandma was like, shit, you're not watching that. Because I remember like the first handful of minutes and the 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 part that is, has forever been burned into my brain is that mm. very short clip where Drew Barrymore's Drew Barrymore's character is hung up in the tree and she's cut open. That forever in my brain. And that was like, I had nightmares about that. I had nightmares about um, the rescuers down under. Um, (laughs) Okay. At the end, at the end, you know where the bad guy has the little boy in the cage dangling over the, okay, yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. snapping crocodiles. I would have nightmares about being in that Aww. same situation when I was little. Poor little Emily. I still, to this, and it's Disney's fault because it's all the scary <laughs> animals. Because still, to this day, I have nightmares about getting chased, killed, or eaten by large predatory animals. I'm done. Continue. I don't even remember where it was. <laughs> Hey, I gotta say, Rescuers Down Under is a damn good movie. She ate him, and you were wondering <laughs> if he was, if she was inspired by Jeffrey Dahmer, but it was also the same time that Silence of the Lambs came out. That's right. So she put the rest of William into garbage bags. And then she went to her ex-boyfriend's house where she's like, hey, help me get rid of this body and I'll give you 75 grand and two motorcycles. And he's like, "Okay, sure. Just wait outside. Meantime, homeboy calls the police, which he should have. And they come by and they nab her waiting outside. And they're like, hey, what's in the garbage bags? And she's like, nothing. (laughs) Nothing. And then they look inside and see a pair of his lungs. His lungs? His lungs. So she like. His decayed, dark lungs because he was a heavy smoker. And that's what was the first thing they saw. All right. (sighs) (laughs) So, of course, she was taken to jail. 
And she's been in jail ever since the, well, 1991. Andy, yeah. how was this a palate cleanser? It's a palate cleanser because I did a deep dive on Thanksgiving. <laughs> palate cleansers are supposed to be happy, feel-good oh. stories. We're not cannibalism, okay? Maybe, maybe we should rethink the palate cleanser. So she's been up for parole twice. Once in 2006 and again in 2011. Uh-huh. But both times the judge deemed that she did not show any sign of remorse, which uh-huh. if, if it were I, me in prison, I'd be like, uh, fake it till you make it. I don't know. I know that sounds crazy, but wouldn't you try and pretend like you were remorseful? I would. I don't know. It depends. I, isn't that? Let's explore that, shall we? Maybe I mean. if I were ever to murder somebody, I can say that without a doubt, whoever finally pushed me to snap and commit murder 100% deserves it from my point of view. So would I be remorseful? Probably not because they had it coming. Yeah, but here's my thing. He 20, had it coming. 20 years he later. He had it coming. He only had himself to blame. Do, 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 do. If you'd have been there, if you'd have seen it, I bet you, you would have done the same. Chicago, watch it. It's a good movie. It is a good movie. Um, however... I will. I, I my rebuttal is if it's been twenty years that you've been in prison, and you really, really, really want to get out. Does maybe, she really, really, really want to get out? Well, I mean, it seems like it. Maybe, maybe she's institutionalized. You're right. But if you really want to get out, maybe you're like, yeah, maybe that wasn't the best idea. But I feel like the parole board people, whatever they're called, like they have they their gotta own be able to smell bullshit from. 10 Maybe. miles away. Maybe. You think. Her next parole hearing is set for 2026. And uh, there it is. The uh, Thanksgiving butcher, as she's called. So well, getting you. And assuming we are still doing this in 2026, we'll let you know how that pans out. We will. And by the way, side notes. Um, We are taking Thanksgiving week off, so we will be back with you first week of December, but we do want to give a shout out to our good friend Molly, who is the voice of the Unnatural Palate Cleanse. Thanks, Molly. Thanks for doing that for us. Molly, you are such a gem. I love you so much. And I appreciate your contribution to the podcast. And I am still waiting and looking forward to your future podcast. Yeah. Because I think you should do it. I really do. So coming up in two weeks, Emily, we are going to discuss the case of the most notorious serial killer that the nation of Canada has ever seen. Mm-hmm. His name, his nickname, 
was the pig farmer killer. You know, does, I want to circle back have... to our serial killer name rankings, and I want to put this one at Ooh. the bottom. The pig farmer killer? Well, yeah. wait till you hear the story. I So far, I'm not impressed. Maybe it has something to do with Belle Gunness. I don't know. She keeps popping up in this podcast. Maybe she has something to do with this one. Because low-key, she was a bad bitch. Like, yes, girl, get that money. <laughs> I mean, because she had something to do with pigs. so She did. Yeah. And All maybe right. this guy did, too. I guess we'll see. We'll find out in two weeks. We'll find out. All right, guys. We'll talk to you then. Are we making j- good choices and not getting got? Yes. Okay. In the meantime, make good choices. Don't get got. Bye. time i gave a guy the finger uh i was god that sounded gross with the way i said it but did you tickle his prostate (laughs) shut the fuck (laughs) up there's that train again should we start over i hear the train a coming coming around the bend i ain't seen the sunshine since i don't know when <laughs> you actually like looked like Joaquin Phoenix there. <laughs> that was a compliment. I don't know if I should it be was insulted. a compliment. <laughs>